Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Joy Reid from MSNBC. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you for coming out. This is actually a really exciting and interesting venue to do this, uh, to talk about a very, very talented uh, man who is, who is doing something really innovative and interesting and a lot of really interesting work, uh, only the latest being this new drama for ABC. You, of course, know his work um, going all the way back to um, you know, television, back to the Martin era. Um, but of course, 12 Years a Slave being such an important film. And now I am very pleased to introduce you to American Crime. I'm gonna ask you a few questions, is that all right? I'm not saying nothing to annoy you for real. You don't get to put this on me. This case is officially being categorized as a hate crime. Do you willfully bend truth to fit your perspective? Did you abuse yourself with drugs? You shall not purchase, possess, sell. What's going to happen is going to happen. I'm not leaving again. It's for my own protection. Now is not the time. No, this is the time. You participated in evaluations previously. Why are they going to shoot me? I'm trying to find out who killed our son. You need to be the voice for people who do not have a voice. You hate yourself and you hate us for looking like you. Come get me out of here! Ladies and gentlemen, John Ridley. All right. So we're going to talk for a little bit, and then we will let um, you all in. But uh, first of all, I have to congratulate you, uh, John. The last time I saw you, it was at a Congressional Black Caucus event where we were co-moderating. Yeah. And you said, well, you know, I have a little something in the works. You didn't get too specific about what it was. Uh, but this is a major achievement. Um, first of all, where did the idea come from? Uh, with regard to American crime, first of all, thank you very much for coming out this evening. We're sticking around, very nervous spikes in the audience. I, I'm trying not to look at Spike because I will just I get so nervous I won't be able to talk. So I'm um, trying to not look over there. <laughs> but thank you all for, for being here this evening. And I have to give a lot of praise to, to ABC, the studio and ABC, the network, because they originally approached me um, more than a year and a half ago, before many of the, the, the blessings that I've had over the last year, about uh, doing a series that was about who we are and where we are right now in this country, uh, and looking at it through the lens of crime, that unfortunately there are a lot of conversations that we should be having, a lot of things that we should be discussing, a lot of things that we should be dealing with, but we don't deal with them until there's a galvanizing event, and at that point we generally take a rooting interest in one side or the other and we're no longer interested in somebody else's point of view. I thought that was a very provocative concept and certainly provocative for a broadcast network to even try to attempt that. And I went away and thought about it and I came back with the concept of looking at this story, not through the, the eyes of the police or the prosecutors or the lawyers, but of the families, the families of the victims, the families of the accused, and the fact that these incidents generally take not 45 minutes and not months, but sometimes years to reach a resolution. And by the time it reaches that resolution for the people who are involved, it's, it's never, it never feels like justice. 
Uh, and ABC, again, they were very supportive in not just telling that kind of a story, but also doing it and using a lot of different languages of cinema in terms of the way it's shot, in the terms of the way it's edited, in terms of um, the way the sound mix happens. So it was a very interesting set of circumstances and one that I really would not have expected to have an opportunity to engage in in a broadcast space. Yeah, and it's interesting. We were having this conversation uh, in the back about kind of the interesting thing that ABC uh, on their entertainment side is doing, where they really are delving into issues of race, issues of gender, uh, and sort of playing with that. I, I don't want to use the word intersectionality, but it is sort of what they're doing. And they're doing it in an interesting way that really no one else is doing. Um, Talk about how doing, because there have been crime dramas obviously before, but how important is it for you in the context of this piece, in the context of American crime, to go beyond just a crime drama and to dig deeper into those layers of race, of sex, of family, um, and sort of expose that in a, in, a, in a series? It's hugely important because we've all, you know, crime dramas are out there and some of them are, are stellar. They're really, really good. So it's not that there's a problem with the genre itself, but in terms of going beyond that and really looking at these incidents as being uh, an examination of the human condition. Uh, because there is a reality. A lot of us have the opportunity to, uh, hopefully no one has ever faced with a circumstance like this, getting a phone call in the middle of the night and it's one of your loved ones or your family who's been accused of something or been a perpetrator in an event. Beyond that, if none of us are involved in it, we have the opportunity to go online or read newspapers or watch the news and get the headlines. But few people ever really get to see the cumulative effect that these things have on families over long periods of time. You know, when I was here in New York uh, as a student years and years ago, and the Central Park jogger case took place, and there was so much energy that was taken up in a such a short space of time in terms of convicting these young men. And then years and years later, we find out that, that th these kids were beyond innocent. And all of us could re-engage that story and certainly have our opinions and our feelings about the system. But in those intervening years, there were families who had to stay with it every single day. There are people who were involved in that case who will never get over it. And so for me, it was very important to look at this case. It wasn't just about solving a crime in a notional sense. It's about, in some ways, there is no solution. There will be a resolution, but there will never be a solution for those people who are intimately involved. Well, I have a little bit of a provocative question because we are in an era uh, where starting with the Trayvon Martin case and then moving to um, incidents like Michael Brown, we have this conflict between the assertion of young black masculinity as something that in and of itself should be valued and not seen as threatening and a narrative that says, well, you folks are committing crimes. You folks are involved in, that's why these, that's the context in which we should understand what's happening to these young black men. Um, would you feel comfortable doing a series which does explore these issues of, of criminality, of race, uh, in a context where let's say there weren't so many other representations of black people on the network where your show is gonna air? I mean, there's there are alternative representations there, but does it at all give you pause that this is a moment when we're arguing about who young black and brown men are? Yeah, I do. Well, I think the two parts to that question, one in terms of being able to have some kind of context. And I'm actually uh, 
feel very fortunate that at ABC right now there is context for people of color. This, is, this show is not a, a single representation of what it means to be black, or we have a very large Hispanic cast as well. Um, you can watch the show and have an opinion about it, but then you can go over and you can watch Blackish, or you can watch Fresh Off the Boat, or you can watch all of Shonda's show on Thursday night, so we don't have to worry about being the end-all, be-all in terms of uh, what it means to be black or Hispanic or Asian or what have you. And that, honestly, that takes a lot of pressure off because people can say, you know, I, well, I, I see your show is this way, but we can say, yeah, we've got a network where we're not just exploring but presenting people of color, so don't look at this as being one single representation or the only representation. In terms of this show, in reflection of what's going on in, in, in the world right now, when, when we started this, working on this project, or the timeline for it, we had just come off of the, the Trayvon Martin and the verdict and George Zimmerman, and there was a part of us, all of us who were involved in this show, where after that and all that energy and emotion had been expended, for a moment we thought, well, maybe the show is going to be a little passe. You know, and I, I, don't, I don't care what you're doing, whether it's drama, if it's science fiction, if it's comedy, there's a part of what you're doing, you wanna, you wanna be relevant in some sense. And just as a writer, I thought, well, maybe we're, we're in a space where this kind of a story, it, it, it doesn't have its relevancy anymore. And for part of me, and I had, remember having, I think the first deep conversation with my son, who's 14 years old, following Trayvon, and it's, you know, it's one thing to have opinions in your head. It's another thing to have to try to have a conversation like that with a young person who's not just a kid in school, that's your son. And there's a little bit of you, okay, well maybe my kid will never have to deal with those things. And I'm talking about this, and yeah, I would have loved to have a show that was kind of relevant, but maybe we don't have to worry about that anymore, and we'll just do what we're gonna do. Uh, and then Ferguson, and then New York. And then you start to realize that this show is going to be relevant whether we want it to be or not, whether it truly is a reflection of what's going on in society or just a piece of narrative, and it could have been as relevant a year ago, three years ago, 20 years ago, uh, back in the 60s, and unfortunately it may still be relevant five years from now. The players may change, the exact circumstances may be different, but as far as this country has come, and we have come a long way, there's a lot that we have to still get past. So to be able to be in a space where at the very least we can try to have a program that has an emotional honesty in terms of what's going on out there, I feel like that's a responsibility and I hope it's a responsibility that all of us involved with this program have lived up to. You know, to be able to, to have a program like this now where the concept is not just we have a TV show and you watch it and that's it. It is a new era and it is a new world and this is a show that I think begs discussion and conversation. Um, things that people agree with, disagree with, things that they love, things that they frustrate. Um, one of the great things that Shonda is doing with her Thursday night block, it's not just, hey, TV, go away. And, and that's it. It's about engaging folks. And there are conversations that, quite frankly, you know, people say, oh, we should have a conversation about this and about that. They're, they're, the folks who have the capacity to have those conversations don't need to be told to have that. The folks who can't have those conversations, you can tell them all day long, they can't have it. But there are so many people out there who are willing and want to have a conversation. And now we live in a space where they can engage and they can talk and they can have it. So yeah, that those clips are up now, that we are having an opportunity to go and present things on a face-to-face -face basis, that's absolutely fantastic. So I'm-, I'm But are you gonna be involved 
directly in some of that social media um, sort of management of the social media life of the show? Because Sean obviously is very much personally involved. I, I would only, I, I mean, Sean is on a whole other level, and I know people want to talk to her. I don't know if anybody really wants to have a conversation with me, but it's a show that I'm very, very proud of, and not just for my own involvement, and not just for what it says in terms of where we are, but in terms of the real, the thought of filmmaking that's gone into it, in terms of the edit, in terms of the cinematography, um, in, in terms of the sound design, those are things, aside from hopefully the potent aspects of the show, that I'm very, very proud of. And people look at it and have questions about the color timing, if they have questions about the music, they have questions about any aspect of it. Those are other areas that I would love to talk to people about, engage with uh, on any level, because it is, to me, you know, for, for a network to say, how do you want to present the story, not just the subject matter, how would you like to present it? And then for them to go along on this ride with me and with the other people that I brought along is really special. So it's something I'd love to talk about in all regards. Because we do have uh, Mr. Lee here, uh, and he's been through this era where you do place a lot of burden on one person, on one filmmaker to represent uh, African Americans in the case of a lot of Spike's films, this sort of Italian community versus black community aesthetic. Um, if you go all the way back in television, there was a lot of feelings that uh, African Americans had about everything from good times to the Jeffersons and how that represented us to the Cosby Show. Do you feel that burden of representation? You've got not just African-American cast members here and Latino, but also Muslim. Um, you're trying to do a broad spectrum of who we are as a society. What is the burden of that representation like for, uh, the, I would say, a filmmaker? Because you, as you said, it's a very filmic series. Oh, I, I can only speak from my own experience. And, and I would be lying if I said I didn't feel some kind of burden or some kind of responsibility. And I think everybody should. When you're, when you're telling a story in a public space, um, you know, we, we obviously have freedom of speech, but freedom of speech doesn't mean that you're free of responsibilities. Um, I don't think that I would ever feel that I would not tackle a certain subject matter because there's a person or a group of people who are going to be offended. I've, I've done things that I thought, were so innocuous and just so warm milk and, you know, I've had people offended. I remember I did a piece on NPR about um, Donald Driver, who was a wide receiver for the Packers, and about his personal story. And, you know, I thought it was a, a terrific story, but it was one of those things. How could anybody possibly get upset about talking about a guy who did something positive? And the mail we got in for people who were just mad and angry about something. So. There's a degree where you, no matter what you do, there is going to be someone somewhere who's going to say something about it. But at the same time, I would rather have someone somewhere saying something than get up in the morning and be afraid to do something because I was limiting by my, myself by other people's expectations. And I've, I've just been fortunate, you know, honestly, to be in a space where I've, I've been an apprentice I've been apprenticed by so many amazing individuals, filmmakers, writers, directors, who've challenged themselves and challenged the public in terms of their work. And I've learned from it that, that it's, it's not easy. You don't wake up in the morning going, hey, I hope people are upset by the things that I do. But there have been so many people, despite primary among them, who've just said, look, I'm doing this. I'm saying the story. If people are offended, that's too bad. You cannot be sensitive at all times. And I know that there are places where, you know, um, Regina's character, Regina King, who's on the show, you know, we've, I very much wanted an American Muslim on the show, not even, you know, a Sunni or Shia, but really representing a very particular aspect of faith in the black culture 
And I, I hope and believe there are people who are going to look at that and go, oh, this is, this, you know, why is it taking so long to have such a well-rounded representation of that character? But there are also going to be people who look at that as we're making a statement because it's one or a few without uh, context around it, but yeah. rather have that conversation, rather have that representation of a character than say, well, let's not go down that road because folks may be offended. Yeah. All right, you've gotten into the character, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you, what, what is the most provocative relationship, do you think, if you think about your characters and sort of their relationships to one another, what do you think, uh, in your mind, is the most sort of provocative relationship in the, in the, uh, in the series? Provocative in terms of, of my personally or provocative in the sense of how others I think in this way that it'll be received. Yeah, I, I got I to gotta tell you, every one of these relationships is absolutely charged. Um, they're charged not even because they're polarized against each other, black or white or black and Hispanic, but sometimes it's, it's the way that we look at each other. You know, as people of color, you know, we can talk about each other in ways that people outside of our race, outside of our faith, you know, at this day and age, they, they know better than to say those things or know if they say them that there may be a consequence, but we may feel comfortable talking about ourselves in certain ways because we feel like we may have an insight. So there's a level of even coming into this show where I know uh, people will look at the white characters, the black characters, the black or Hispanic and have an expectation of certain conversations or accusations that are gonna go on and that's fine because that's a starting point. But my hope and my desire is that it's not going to be so much about us against them or us as us and how we look at each other and how we need to sometimes get over those things because if we are going to get to a certain place, you know, those, we, we already know those discussions that are gonna go on, us versus them. But sometimes it really is those conversations in and among ourselves that not only need to be charged because we need to say those things, but once they're charged, how do we get past it? How do we get beyond it? What do we do to help each other get to a place where we really need to be? And, and I have to ask this question um, because I feel like it's sort of, there's a feeling that it's kind of a best of times, worst of times. There are so many, you know, really high quality uh, television and filmic representations of people of color that are out there. And you're partly responsible uh, for that because of just how much love there was for 12 Years a Slave and how important that film was. And then you come a full circle and you can clap for that because I think that's true. And then you come around a year later when on the film side we look at the latest Oscar nominations and we see nothing in terms of people of color uh, in the major categories other than best picture so that it does feel like there's this seesaw where it's either you know all the way great or there's just sort of a barrenness. Do you think that there is enough broad representation of people of color within both the film and television world right now? No, I mean it's just... <laughs> Why do you suppose not? You know, I, 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 there's a lot of reasons why. And there's not, a, I mean, there's no other way. There's the long, long answer and there's a lot of it. The short answer is no. There's not enough representation. Not enough representation of people of color. Not enough representation of women, of others, of other faith. There's not enough representation of faith um, in just the most fundamental ways. Even now when we see faith, it tends to be about faith or a large um, thought of faith as opposed to there's so many people, that's just part of their daily lives. Um, I have my thoughts and opinions about why, um, even now, when I go into meetings in, in Hollywood and people are excited to see me and uh, excited to hear my ideas, you know, you walk into a room and I'm, I'm, I'm still the only person of color in that room. 
and have access to so many executives and, and so many people, and it's, uh, they have the best intentions, they are some of the most open-minded individuals, but there's, there's still reality that even for those individuals, it, it's still a cloistered world, it's still a segregated world. And, and again, these are the folks who would write the biggest checks for causes that may be near and dear to my heart, who would support uh, causes or candidates or, or things like that, but it, it's still, it was very odd to me, you know, a couple of months ago, President Obama was in town and he was going to the Sony lot, and the city shuts down, and traffic comes to a halt, and every big filmmaker is out there at Sony, and, and they show up and support, and I'm like, okay, it, it is easier for a person of color to become President of the United States to get flown on Air Force One to Hollywood to have the city shut down to go and have a meeting with the heads of studios than it is for a young black person, a young Hispanic kid, a young Asian kid to just go get a meeting on a Thursday on the lot. And I, there's only the slightest bit of hyperbole in that statement. I'm not kidding you. It would be almost easier for a person in this room of color to go through the process of getting elected and having access to all those people in Hollywood for ju than just a a young kid, a young Hispanic girl, a young, I mean look, I, as, a, as a black man in Hollywood, I consider myself fortunate. I'm very, I, I, to be a Hispanic girl in Hollywood, you know, how, how many opportunities are there? You know, and, and the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that we have a, a, a larger representation of, of blacks right now in Hollywood. But the reality is, you know, Hispanics are the majority, majority minority right now. And honestly, where, where is that representation that comes anywhere close to being an equivalent? Not, not something that is make good, not something that is affirmative action, just an equivalency to what's going on. So, you know, this year in terms of Hollywood, it, it's hard for me personally to, to gripe because I was very fortunate last year, but at the same time, just in the acting category, when I see so many amazing performances, I mean, great performances, so many of them, and not one of them, you know, got any kind of a nod, that's where you go, you know, it, it, I don't believe it should be, okay, well, we got 10, we gotta make sure we have two, but I, I don't know how you can have that many great performances and nothing. So. And, and, and I wonder if just as somebody who's in the industry, it surprises you that there really isn't sort of a sense of irony about that, that when these, um, you know, for instance, these awards are announced, there isn't really a sense really within, at least from the outside looking in, it doesn't appear that there's a sense of, wait a minute, we just did these nominations and we ourselves as Hollywood are looking at it and saying that's strange. I, I, is that just a perception or is that the reality that it really doesn't occur until, you know, people of color raise their hands and say, wait a second. Well, I, you know, I, we, we relate to things that are close to us. And again, these are folks who have been incredibly kind to me. They've given me, professionally speaking, every good thing that's come my way. Um, all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. So I don't want to seem disingenuous to sit here a year removed and, and complain about the system. But I know being in the system, it comes the end of the year, and regardless whether it's about race, whether it's about gender, whether it's about you know, big films or small films, you know, there is a, an apparatus that takes these films and puts them in front of people. And I think part of the issue is not merely um, 
the access, but at the end of the year, that apparatus that reminds people, you know, there's a great performance over here that you mean, may need to take a moment to take a second look at because it, it, you know, when you're hanging out with your friends and you're hanging out with people that are your peers, it's, it's not that they don't appreciate that. That just may not be the first film that they're talking about. And I have that all the time where I'm sitting around when we're doing post on this film and we, we start talking about films and that's what rises to the fore is when you're in your peer group and you're talking about something. So if you're in a peer group and they may not be talking about, you know, get on up and reminding people, you know, Chadwick, he had a phenomenal performance this year. You know, if that falls out of the conversation, those are the folks who at the end of the year where there's so much going on and there's so many films and it's like, oh yeah, I gotta go home and I, I, I gotta remember to watch that screener. And the reality is, you know, it's, if, if you're not being reminded to watch that screener or go to a screening of something, that's when those things fall out. So for myself, maybe for our peer group, there are these performances where we think about, oh, you know, David, you know, we, make sure everybody's talking about that. Make sure everybody's talking about his performance. Uh, there are other groups who, you know, Selma may not be the first film they think about going to see. If they saw it, if they talked about it, I have no doubt they would love it. But it's about keeping those films in front of people, keeping that conversation in front of people um, throughout the year. So I want to open it up because I, I, I do uh, know that we wanted to allow some people to ask questions. And I think that the, the keeper of the microphone is on this side, so she will pass them around. And let's open it up to the audience. Hi. I was uh, wondering, you know, looking at that trailer got me really excited about the diversity in the story. And I was wondering, how do you and the writing team write these diverse characters? Do you just go with your life experiences and just roll with it? Do you pick someone maybe as an archetype and follow them around? Do you kind of run it by people? And if you do, at what stage of the writing process you do that at and so on? Uh, that's a very good question. I, it's, it's actually a bit of all of that. Um, in terms of creating the show, I sat down and I wrote a pilot not knowing if it would ever go to series. So when I wrote the pilot, I thought, you know, that may be it. And there are certainly stories or characters that I wanted to try to explore, at least set a framework for. Um, but one of the wonderful things about writing series television is that you do have a writer's room where you have a group of individuals who sit together and basically, you know, it's, it's sort of self-analysis. It's a very interesting space because it's a very honest space. You know, people feel free to talk about anything, talk about themselves, talk about their experiences, talk about their families, and certainly in terms of going to series, there are so many moments in this show uh, as it develops where I can remember very clearly uh, one of the writers or another would talk about things, talk about uh, something that happened to them personally, talk about um, something that they had happened to them or, or things or issues that they wanted to explore. And there are some elements that were very specific to characters based on their race or based on their faith. Uh, but there were also things that you realized that were very universal and somebody would be talking about something and it was like, well, you know what, can we put it with this character? Maybe, you know, we had Guy Davy Perez who would pitch stories, but we, we found elements of it that were great for Felicity Huffman, who's you know, a, a, a very accomplished white woman, but those elements are universal. And it was also a great experience to realize that in that storytelling, there were things that it could go, they were not limited. It was not limited by age, it was not limited by gender, you know, those kinds of stories, those kinds of moments that were very impactful, we could spread them around. And so there were things that you may see in, in American crime that feel very in and of a type, but the person who pitched it or wrote that story may be completely anipode to the individual that's actually espousing certain things on screen. Uh, hey, uh, my name is Micah. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, I know 
uh, in order to, uh, if you have any advice about like how to like break into the industry as a creator, I know you have to work hard and all that stuff, but I mean, it's still kind of tough. So if you have like any, like, uh, I don't know, like, I want to say like magic bullet points or anything, but if how you got broken and maybe can tell somebody like me in this day and age how they could, is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense because uh, you know, I've been there and I, you're absolutely right. It's really, really difficult. Uh, it's just, it's hard for anybody. And the minute that you're an other, it's just that much more difficult. And as Spike was saying earlier, when he was up here, the most important thing is to put in the work and to know that you're working harder than other people, um, that you're particularly, and, and what do you, you want to write? Do you want to? Uh, write and direct. Yeah, I mean, the, the advantage that someone who wants to write has is that you can go and create. And for an actor, for a director, for a cinematographer, you know, they have to wait for a project to come along. If you are writing, you're already ahead of the game. And if you are willing to write, um, without the opportunity necessarily to be paid. That does not mean you should not uh, be paid, but if you will write, if you will create, if you have the wherewithal to sit on the subway or sit on the bus or go home or split off from your friends and go in a corner and put together that script and do it without knowing whether it's gonna be a paycheck or not, that puts you ahead. And the key to me, if I were gonna say one thing, if you talk about what is that, uh, what is that in, um, it's the people that you know, and I don't mean people like you know, like you got to know, you know, uh, the head of a network or the head of a studio, but the first break I ever got was a, a friend of mine who was an assistant at an agency, and she was like, you know, I, my agent, she's looking for different kind of material, do you have anything? And people always ask me, they go, oh, how do I get an agent or how do I meet somebody at a studio? Um, that's difficult. It's difficult even now <laughs> for me to get meetings at studios, but it's easy to meet somebody who wants to be that person, who's working somewhere right now, working as an assistant, and not only are those the people who have the access, but they're also the people who are going to be an agent, or going to uh, be a manager, or be an executive somewhere, and they're probably in your sphere right now. So you're closer than you think to somebody who has access, or somebody who will have access. And to use those relationships, and I don't mean use them in a crass way, but use them as they should be used because they need material. You know, there's somebody who needs and there's somebody who has. And if you are the person who has and you've already done that homework and they're saying, you know, I wish I could find a script like, and you're like, well, I got it, then you're there. It's still not going to be easy, but if you are prepared and you're ready, it can happen. And I tell people all the time, if it can happen for me, it can happen for anybody. Hi, can you talk about writing for a film versus writing on television? The, yeah, I'm, I'm, the difference between writing for film and television, and I appreciate both medium very much, but film, you really have to get to it. You have to engage people early on, even in films that have a, a slow burn and, and have a, a, a deliberate pace, you still basically have two hours and change to be able to tell your story. So at some point, early on, you have to grab your audience. And, and you know, if it's a $300 million action movie, you gotta grab people harder. If it's a smaller independent film, no, you don't have to grab folks hard, but you do wanna, you, you've gotta manage your time and manage your flow. That's just a reality of it. Um, with TV, you know, even at this, and this is a limited series, American Crime, we've got 11 hours. So the pace is is different, and it, it can be more deliberate. Uh, it, it, 
can be slower, it can have a slow burn. It, it's not a language show. We have many things that are happening, but we also feel like we don't have to rush from event to event. And that's great as a storyteller because you know, you have 11 hours to be able to delve into all of these characters, and we have a very large cast, but we never feel like um, we're shortchanging any of these stories or any of these characters or any of these moments. And that's what I really love about uh, writing for television and also to be able to shift that story. You know, we were about halfway through the season and we could see things uh, that I had not thought of or additional things that, uh, to answer this gentleman's question about the writers, the writer's room, and they would pitch things and we could take them in different directions. I love that about television, that we don't have to get everything done in that first hour, those first couple of hours, that we can really take our time and explore these characters as deeply as possible possible. But at the same time, cinema, to be in a, a theater with a group of individuals, even screening this television show with an audience has a whole different feel than it does when people are watching it by themselves. And that's very, very special. Film is a very communal experience. And, you know, you, you can watch film at home now. You can watch it on your iPhone. Or a lot of people, you know, have home theaters. But there's no substitute for being around people and having that shared experience when you're watching a very powerful piece of narrative. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No, now uh -oh. you're in trouble. John, this is, is all love, baby. I want you to talk about how many writers do you have, where do you write us from, how long did it take you to do the 11 scripts, and, and what, how many episodes you think in before you have to get the green light for the second season. <laughs> so it's so, a multi-layered question, much of about process, how many writers we had, where did I get the writers Who from? Who were the writers? What, what, were you, what qualities were you looking for for the writers? Right. Um, we had all together, uh, I'm going to go quickly. So we had Davey, Stacy, Diana, Keith, um, uh, Julie, and Sine. So we had six additional writers. And just very quickly, so Davey Perez uh, actually came from the ABC Writers Program and had not written before, and was just a phenomenal young man. Um, and to your question, sir, uh, he, he worked. I mean, he was a guy, and, and after he was hired onto the show, if there was somebody that you needed to do something on the quick, it was Davey. And that was just his attitude. He was, had a great personality. It was, it, it was the kind of individual that you would want to bring into a show like this, but, and, and I'm not saying anything about David that I don't, he, he talks about greatly, his background, his experience, it was difficult. It was challenged. Uh, he brought himself out, out of some very, very hard circumstances, but you wouldn't know that in terms of his personality. He didn't have a chip on his shoulder, but he had not only an authenticity about him, and I'm not just talking about a cultural authenticity, but an authenticity about where he was from, but a, and also a capacity a capacity to be able to tell his story and then to modulate his story uh, for, for what our needs on this show. Uh, Diana Sun is a playwright out of New York. She had done some television, but she had not done a lot of television. Um, but she, was, she had an ability to tell stories from a very human point of view, and that was very important in terms of our show. Uh, Diana is a fantastic writer. And uh, very interestingly, one of my favorite writers that I've ever worked with, just in terms of her general nature, in terms of her capacity of writing uh, dialogue, and uh, got a pilot this year at, at NBC. And interestingly, there's a show on TV right now, Empire, that is just killing it. And so there's a little bit of what people are calling the Empire effect 
on television and networks scrambling to make sure they have shows that are a little bit more representative. And it's very interesting because Diana is Asian American as a writer, was doing a show that initially had a white couple at the center, but uh, the network was looking at their development and said, hey, we should have a black couple at the center. So have an Asian-American writer writing a black couple at the center because Empire is doing so well. So again, we're just seeing change happening, and that's very, very exciting. Uh, Stacy Littlejohn, uh, a writer uh, that I had worked with in the past, smart, sharp, uh, graduate, uh, graduated from Berkeley, uh, but pretty much raised herself, uh, 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 had created um, a show on VH1 called Single Ladies, uh, one of the few black female showrunners on television. It actually started years and years ago as my assistant was her first job and it just worked her way past me <laughs> and was just begging her, could you please come and work on this show? Uh, Julie Bear, who is also a playwright, um, lives in California now, is a director as well, uh, from Louisiana. Uh, marvelous with the word and brought her onto the show. Uh, Keith Huff, who's from Chicago, also a playwright, had written for um, Mad Men on television, had not written a lot of television, but again, had a real unique quality to him as a writer. And uh, Sonay Hoffman, who um, had written, had worked with Shonda on, I believe, Private Practice, had not written a lot of television, but again, whip smart, came out of a really good program, uh, was working over at ABC, was very, very happy to have her, and I believe this is the first, this will be her first broadcasted script that she had written. Um, am I missing anybody? Those were the six. If I could ask real quick, is it difficult to write in Acre? That Those sound like very, you know, sort of powerhouse writers in their own right. Is it difficult for seven people to write a script? They, well, we, we would talk about ideas together we would break stories together, and then I would send individuals off to write a particular episode. So they would go off and write the scripts individually, but we would share stories, we would share, again, um, aspects of ourselves, our, our relations, and try to work that into, um, into concepts for the series. We tried to get as many episodes written as we could before we actually started shooting, which was very important, so we'd have a real framework um, all together in terms of writing, I think we, I mean, television, it happens fast. So we started, um, we got picked up in May. We started our writer's room in, towards the end of June, and then we were shooting by the end of July, and we had seven scripts written already. And then we were finished shooting in November, and in terms of getting a pickup again, I, we probably won't know until May. I think we'll have a good idea in our heads if the show does very well, if people are supporting and tweeting about it and Facebooking and... Snapchat and whatever else people do. I would encourage you to please do that. Now. Right What's now. Gonna be, is the hashtag going to be American crime? Is that I the think hashtag? the hashtag is American crime. Okay. I'm not hashtag versed, so, but I do know there are clips on YouTube. <laughs> so you can go look at those. And hopefully, yeah, I mean, um, I, I hope and believe that we'll have an opportunity to come back and examine different stories. It's an anthology series, so if we come back for a second season, It'll be a new city, uh, new perspectives, talking about other aspects. Would not be, no, it would not be Modesto. We're going to have a, a new city, new place. Hopefully as much of the cast as that we can hold on to in different characters, but really try to explore other elements of the human condition or what's going on in society cool. right now. Uh, good evening. Hey. So um, 
I have a two-part question. Um, so first, you, I feel like any creator has to have a certain element of compromise uh, whenever creating a project, just from the powers that be. So what was one of the biggest compromises for you in creating American Crime? And secondly, I feel like also as a creator, right, you have to have an audience in mind, a target audience. But what is the audience you most want, want to reach that just doesn't get it right now, that you kind of, you know, emotionally want to at least reach them? Uh, yeah, two-part question. So I don't like to speak in absolutes, uh, but honestly with this series, there were almost no compromises. There's certainly because it's broadcast television, there are certain words we absolutely could not say. There are other bits of language and certainly sexuality or drug use that we have to be mindful of because it wasn't about an FCC fine or anything like that, but you just it's about taste and it's about capacity for uh, the audience and also a network you know what they want to deal with but I never felt like those were limitations because if there's a single word or a single image or something like that that somehow limits us from telling the story that we want to tell then we probably weren't very clever in our capacity for telling that story to begin with so I have to say for a broadcast network uh, for a network that is responsible to its shareholders and also for a network that is part of a corporation like Disney that has a very particular brand there were very few if any limitations that were put on us in any regard and that speaks more to the network to the executives than to me as a person and what um, people's expectations for me at this point are uh, I would say in terms of the audience for the show the I have to be honest the for me, at this point in my career, the, the people that I think most about when I'm, when I'm putting something like this together, or when I had opportunity to do Red Tails, or uh, 12 Years a Slave, or All Is By My Side, it's just my two boys. And that's all I think about, is what they're going to take away from this. Not even now, I think they may be a little young for a show like this, but when you talk about people who don't get it, I don't want to say my kids don't get it, but again, to have that conversation about Trayvon for the first time as a father with your son, it makes me realize um, I'm in a unique position to at least try to say something. It's not my desire to come into any of your homes and try to preach to you or proselytize or put my own opinion in front of you. You're all very, very, you wouldn't be here if you weren't bright, aware individuals or individuals who had a desire to learn more or want more. So I don't try to put things out with the concept that I'm trying to preach or reach people with a unique point of view. But if I would want to say something to my boys and reach them emotionally, emotionally in some regard, uh, whether it's larger ideas or just uh, the artwork and what they take away, um, to be able to see uh, the artwork on street corners or on bus stops and to see the Tuskegee Airmen or to see Andre Benjamin playing Jimi Hendrix, uh, to see Chuatel Ejiofar, uh, as, as a free black man trying to achieve uh, the freedom that he was born with, not the freedom that he feels like he should have under the law. Uh, those are things that I want my kids to be aware of. So with all respect to the larger audience, I hope people come to it. I hope they're moved by it. But I think it's got to start for me from a very personal spot. And if I know that the two young men living in my house are proud of this work, then I think I've done my job. Well, if all of you could please give a round of applause to John Ridley. The series is American Crime. We expect all of you to be the base Twitter 
uh, farm team to make sure that this series gets a lot of love uh, on social media. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, thank, and also, thank you very much. I mean, with your busy schedule, and I know you had to race down here to get here. Um, broke thank a few you traffic rules, but very okay. much for taking the time <laughs> to help present this to the public. I deeply, deeply appreciate no, it. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate the invitation. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you all thank for you coming. Thank you all for coming out.